<laughs> Cheers, Worcester. It's January the 30th, 2018, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti, and this is Brendan Milliken. How's it going, Mike? Brendan, it's going good. It's going good. Um, today we're talking about paperwork vans, pay raises, conflicts and mistakes, population density, economic development, and Groundhog Day. We are broadcasting on Worcester's Unity Radio, 0.0000001 gigawatts of power on 102.9 FM. Cable casting on WCCA TV 194 and podcasting at pieandcoffee.org. The call-in number is 508-471-5265. Please, God, don't call in. These call-ins are always driving me nuts. But if you want to drive me nuts, 508-471-5265. And a special shout-out to the mighty Hank Stoltz, who is engineering today's show. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me back up. Well, <laughs> it's nice, nice to join for, you again, Mike. Th- thanks for having me join you, too. <laughs> you know, Brendan, one, one person who was listening to the show suggested that we should, um, for, for our new radio audience, introduce ourselves uh, and maybe explain who we are and what we're doing. Do I we know no who idea. we are and what we're? That's a that's I, a, I feel a big like question. it's a very heady question. I'm I not, feel like I know who we are and what we're doing. I don't know that I don't know that there's a uh, I don't know that I understand who we are and what we're doing in a way that would actually increase the credibility <laughs> or, or appeal of this show. Yeah. Um, so my name is Michael Benedetti, and I have lived in Worcester for about uh, 16 years. I originally came up to Worcester to do volunteer work with homeless people, and have stuck on and mostly do. Uh, technology things. I do a lot of activism and amateur um, journalism things in my spare time and I used to blog a lot back in the day when people used to blog a lot and that was how I got connected to you and I got interested in podcasting and my only credibility is, uh, I don't know, maybe as, as somebody who's not a lifer but who's lived here for, for a while. Yeah. And somebody who's talked to a lot of people in Worcester. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was uh, born and raised here, and uh, this is really the only place my family's lived uh, since they got to this side of the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, similarly, it, you know, I think uh, almost 10, 15, maybe even closer, 20 years ago at this point, started getting a little bit more interested in uh, the more civic aspects of life in Worcester. And uh, somehow we managed to cross paths. And I think we've been working together in some capacity in various forms of media. Uh, since then, and uh, here we are on the radio having bizarre conversations about things that people might not even realize are happening right under their nose. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I would say that we're sort of like two guys whose hobby is like, like, you know, like a lot of people will own a boat and they'll spend, you know, some spare time working on their boat, and when new boat technology comes along, they'll do that, and they'll do that, like boat clubs and stuff, and we have a similar thing with, uh, with uh, broadcasting, but you know what I think is kind of well, that is true. But I think what I think is is been one consistent sort of theme in everything that we have done is while uh, at times it can seem like we're knocking the city of Worcester or being critical, it, it's an, I always think it comes from a very sort of loving, uh, respectful place. We we fumble a little bit on the respectful side of things, but for the most part, it's it comes from a very uh, well intended and well intentioned uh, point, which is. I think it's important to keep in mind too, even when it sounds like we might be knocking your favorite thing in the city. We're really good people. Yeah. We're really we're just we're, trying the, anyway. we're just some of the best people in the city. Yeah. No, and and you know, I would say also, even though it oftentimes seems like we're making very strong libertarian arguments for something, this is usually accidental. This is why we call ourselves Worcester's Worcester's libertarian voice. 
Yeah, we're actually, and I don't think we're either of us are actually that, but unfortunately, I think anytime we try and have a measured uh, sort of uh, self-moderated conversation about something, you kind of end up coming back to that sort of natural middle point where you realize it's just not that much fun to, to stake a, a hard edge sort of ground on any particular topic. And yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of uh, hard edge grounds on particular topics, I want to get into the the headlines this week's headlines and just just touch on everything real quick and then we can talk about things in a little more detail uh this week the city council is talking about pay raises specifically whether they should talk about talking about pay raises they currently pay raises they, they currently they get a pay raise in line with increases in the consumer price index that is increases in the cost of living and it's an automatic thing and uh, Councillor Lukes and to a lesser extent Councillor Rosen would like to take away the automatic part of it and say that they have to actually debate it and uh, have a big thing about it every two years instead of just taking the raises. Or in some cases, people don't take the raises. Um, and this just this doesn't drive me crazy. This seems bizarre to me. Um, I should mention that the amount of money that we're talking about with these pay raises is 0.004% of the city's annual budget. Um, Considering half the city's budget is school-related and a huge percentage of the city's budget, probably like 80-90% of the city's budget, is non-discretionary. Of the discretionary funds, the funds the council can actually have some say over, it's probably a lot more than 0.004%. But um, just for the sake of argument, say it is actually 0.004% of the city's budget. Uh, if you assume that being a city councilor was a full-time 40-hour-a-week job, that would mean that the city, a city council should spend 4.8 minutes a year thinking <laughs> slash talking slash voting on this. That it, this is way out of whack to the budgetary impact. I think it's because this is mostly about uh, questions about what is the nature of a city councilor. Like, should this basically be a volunteer job? You know, like what is the? But it never is framed in the sense of should this be basically be a volunteer job or what's a good price to pay for having a bunch of professional ombudsmen blanketing our neighborhoods and doing research. Instead, it's always put in this perspective of, well, I care about, I'm a good person, and I care about the budget of Worcester, so I will turn down my 0.004% of the budget of Worcester because I'm good and you're terrible, mean old crap ball. Which really fixes nothing. It, it doesn't change anything in terms of the actual math year to year from uh, from a budgetary perspective. Yeah, and, you know, it actually makes me think that you're less of a good person too. Like honestly, I think I think Connie Luke's I think Connie Luke's is a very good person, but in terms of virtue signaling, Connie Luke's virtue signaling is aimed at people besides me. It always makes me think she's terrible. Her public things. I've never I think actually, she's a very very good person. Though. I'm just gonna throw this out really quick, but I never understood why we tie uh, pay raises for especially elected officials, right, uh, to things like indexes that uh, impact uh, everybody on the other side of the, the employment scale as well, too. Like, because you're, you're talking about the one role that is filled by people where it's not just that we hope for, we kind of demand by virtue of voting for you good outcomes. Uh, and, and living in a system that at least currently is a capitalist system, those good outcomes oftentimes involve money, revenue streams, whatever the case may be. It would seem that it would make a lot more sense just to tie that number into, say, uh, the median household or family income, and sometimes well, that goes down, right? And I, then, think that that, I think that that potentially does weird things 
to the incentives for a city councilor. Like it really gives you an incentive to try to kick as many poor people as possible out of the city. That's being a way easier way to raise the median in income than do economic development. Yeah, no, I don't. But I, I don't think that's likely. Like I, I don't think the likelihood of, of, of the council getting together and running everybody. No, out but town, that incentive is that. You're giving out, you're yeah. giving a small incentive to kick poor. The people flip side now though is there's kind of an incentive. There, there's no incentive to do anything if we're going to do the game theory thing. Then like there's no incentive to do anything because you're going to get that increase. Anyways, well, as long as uh, Councillor Luke gets her way, uh, or in, unless she gets her way, that increase just comes along. So, like sure. from the game theory perspective, then there's no incentive to do anything but just kind of sit around and keep I, it even keel. I think what you're saying is you're saying that the that the salary part of it is not is not an incentive for you. It's the salary part is an incentive maybe to run for the job, but what the incentive is to get reelected to the job, sure, or to sure. have other people like you, or yeah. to feel like you're being effective or whatever. Those are the incentives. To, to, it makes sense to me to take that financial part of it and say, there's no. I mean, to me, this is just like property taxes. Mm -hmm. Like, property taxes cause so so many weird economic distortions in our city, and there's so much time spent, right, like trying to assess properties and figure out exactly what this costs and this. What did this road do for right. the value of this property? Which is only important because of property taxes. Like mm -hmm. If we take that away, then suddenly it's like, ah, oh, it's worth what people paid for it. You haven't sold it in 50 years. Who the hell cares what it's worth this year, <laughs> right? right? Um, I feel like this is one area where that's actually, like, or th that seems like a reasonable, I mean, it seems a reasonable thing for me for the council to discuss what they're, what they're going to get paid every two years. Sure, why not? But... Except that it's just such a tiny drop in the bucket. It really doesn't matter. And it's never focused, and like I said, it's never focused around the real question, which is what's the nature of a city councilor. It's focused on who, who can act more uh, uh, benevolent. In a, in a very backhanded sort of way. It's actually a, a conversation time. about what, it's a conversation amongst themselves about what they're worth, about their perceived value. And that's a weird thing to kind of be an observer of, is like a group of people sitting around a room saying, this is what we're worth to the city of Worcester. That, that's typically up to the city of Worcester to decide. Well, anyway. So anyway, so there's more, there's more city council stuff this week. You might, you, you might guess that would be the entire meeting, but you would be wrong. Um, the city council, last week we talked a little bit about uh, Gary, Ro what I'm going to call Gary Rosen's dream van. The idea that we should have a van of paperwork driving around the city uh, to help people who uh, don't have internet access or can't get to City Hall to do their city paperwork. Um, this idea came about because Boston has such a van. Now, let's point out, Boston has a van. A city which is five times as large as Worcester is able to support a van as a pilot project. Maybe we can have a fifth of a van. I don't know. We can timeshare a van with some other towns. I don't know. A wheelbarrow? It's a it's a it's an old bomb squad van, yeah. which is sweet. If we had an old bomb squad van to repurpose this, I would say let's do it. And it has like some laptops and some chairs inside, and it's basically like it stops by your neighborhood's yeah. community center, and you go in and you do your paperwork. This is something which I mean I think that this already happens, which is people go around the city with a laptop and say, hey. I know you need to do some city paperwork. Use this laptop. Yeah, and, and not just for City Hall. I, I actually was listening to the station that we are on yesterday uh, when Tim Garvin was up talking about how that's one of the projects the United Way does here in Worcester is work with the IRS to make sure that folks that don't have easy access to uh, filing their taxes, right. um, that like the United Way is there to make right. sure that... And I think that's actually where this conversation gets a little bit weird, you know, even beyond the, the fair comparisons to like Boston and do we, do we actually have the geographical and population needs to make this happen? But sometimes I think it's, uh, there's a lot of great things that could be updated in City Hall from a process perspective where you're going to look a little bit further down the line and say, you know, this is going to be the day 10 years from now that just everything's going online or whatever the case may be. 
and you can't get too, too hung up on uh, the folks that might be slightly left out or inconvenienced by that. Like, I'm sure at some point in time, uh, you know, the IRS has had to figure out a creative way to make sure the Amish can file their taxes sure. since e-filing became a thing. But they didn't say, well, no, no, we can't change anything. Like, nobody can e-file because the Amish aren't going to be able to. Like, you figure out a healthy solution that isn't, uh, you know, stagnating government as a, as a whole. And I'm not suggesting that a bus is, is the same thing as, you know, bringing everything to a screeching halt. But it, I think it does bear a longer and a bigger conversation about, like, who, who are the folks that we're perceiving as not uh, being able to access government in a meaningful way? And what is the most meaningful way to make sure that they're brought into the fold? Well, this, well, the city council changed the proposal around a little bit, and they asked for a report on whether or not we could somehow use our bookmobile to do part mm -hmm. of this, which I don't know that there's that much space left in, in the bookmobile. I guess you're going to have to get rid of some books to be able to put this into the bookmobile. Um, but uh, it feels to me like it defeats the purpose because the bookmobile is cool, right? But like the especially whole, now it has a new mural on the other side. It looks side. great. It's one of the coolest right. video. It looks great. And it's, a, and it's a bookmobile, so like I like we need a bomb squad van, man. If we don't have a bomb squad van, we shouldn't do it. Or if I mean like this bus, this Boston bus has sweet decals. I say we find out, we go to Councillor Rosen, and we're like the city will buy you decals for your car. <laughs> As long as you promise that if anybody ever is like stops you in traffic and asks you to help them with paperwork, you will You'll give it to them. You'll keep and it that way we'll have the vehicle. It'll be out there. It'll say Worcester to go on the side. It'll be awesome. Gary will be in there smiling and waving, chatting people up. Everybody wins. Very, very cheap solution. You don't screw up the bookmobile. And there's not going to be any sad, tragically disappointed children who go into the bookmobile and instead just find a bunch of census forms <laughs> and applications for dog licenses. That's oh, man. I would have. I was a nerdy kid. I love this. I would have been so into that when I was a kid. Um, we have a couple minutes left here in this top part of the show, so I'll talk about a couple more things the city council is looking at. Uh, Councillor Toomey would like to ban flavored tobacco. Councillor Bergman wants to make sure the city is marketing uh, residential properties to non-residents. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Both of those, I don't know, I feel like both of those are among these evergreen topics that I'm I, I feel a little bit bad even talking about them because I'm just like, why is this the week that you're bringing up another flavored tobacco ban? <laughs> like, say, uh, as, as a former tobacco user and a current uh, flavored nicotine product user in the form yes. of, of vaporized nicotine oils. Will this affect you? I, yeah, well, it actually does. I don't, unintentionally, yes, because in the Commonwealth, we describe or define uh, all uh, nicotine products as tobacco derivatives, even though that's you know questionable from a because they're not actual nicotine or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so yeah, it, in theory it would. And, but you know, the thing that I just don't understand, we went through this with, uh, I think the easier one is when it comes to edibles, with, when we were starting to go down the legalization road with marijuana, right? Mm -hmm. People go crazy when they find out that there's candy or uh, cookies or whatever that can be infused with marijuana products. Right, right. I am so suspicious of adults who think that once you leave childhood, like things that taste good or are delicious are no longer allowed in your life. And that's what this is saying to me, right? Like that we feel that this, these tobacco products must be targeting children because what adult would be interested in flavored tobacco? Well, have you ever smoked tobacco? It's awful. Like, of course you want to flavor it. And, and when I, I, I'm not familiar with this universe where adults are only seeking out things that taste terrible. So yeah, I just don't get what the point is there. I mean, there's, you know, smoking rates decline when you do good education programs for kids and get them to realize the horrors of nicotine and tobacco, which, you know, we didn't do a good job when I was a kid, which is why I spent a couple of years, you know, a good portion of my life addicted to nicotine. Um, you know, I, uh, I, uh, the only people who I know who smoke flavored tobacco are old men, 
Sure. Like, I feel like these young kids are all smoking weed. Like, they don't care. They're not interested in flavored tobacco one way or the other. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not in touch with the youth demographic. I mean, I know that I'm not, so I could be totally wrong. No, well, I think ultimately that's the real thing is that nobody smokes, right? Like, you look nationally, the rates of youth smoking are all but gone. The only people that are left in those demographics, unfortunately, are the folks that don't have good, educa good education presented to them young about the dangers of smoking, and those of us that are on the, the back uh, nine uh, who unfortunately made terrible decisions when we were 12. And, but kids, that's like, it's not the fear anymore. There's just so much better, the outcomes are so much better when you actually focus on education. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we're gonna have to leave that there, as they say on CNN. Uh, we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about Groundhog Day, we're gonna talk about uh, the Paw Sox, we're gonna talk about Whole Foods in a little bit. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about ourselves, too. Like, we I might. like that part. We might. This is 508, a show about Worcester, and we will be right back. All right. I know we're still recording here. People at home, people at home, how did that audio turn out? Oh crap! I used the Mevo for that audio. All right, be clicky. You'll be fine. That audio was terrible. Well, I'm not gonna record anymore on this video. <laughs> All right, guys. You know how to get a hold of us. Pineandcoffee at gmail.com. Now you can see me. Pineandcoffee at gmail.com. We're gonna we're doing a lot of experimentation with our video, so we'll be doing some more experimentation next week as well. Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye-bye.